had this guy that um, he was, I thought he was just the greatest teacher in the world. I listened to hundreds of his CDs, hundreds of them. I met him in person and I got to hang out a little bit with him. And I was just, I thought he was Jesus. I mean, it was just amazing how great this man was, his wisdom, his teaching. And he was around his wife for a few minutes and he, he didn't yell at her, but he said something that was just really, really harsh. And he did it in front of people. Now, it's not anything I haven't said. I'm just saying for him, I thought, wow, I can't believe he did that. You know, it was like two or three weeks, and I thought, I can't listen to his sermons anymore. I heard him yell at his wife. How horrible is that? This guy's a, a, he's a human. He's a human. And I put him on this pedestal thinking he was something. To, and, and anytime we put somebody on a pedestal, they will always fall off of it. Always. And it's not, our, it's not their fault for that. It's our fault for putting them there. I had to realize this guy, I love him. He's a great teacher. He has a gift. But he's a human. <laughs> he's a human. I can't expect him to be Jesus. Unless I put them on that platform, and then, of course, it, 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 it'll hurt me. And so the goal of the series is to always make Jesus number one, okay? Part one, we talked about Jesus, the human, and the goal of that, ser- that sermon was because um, whenever we get hurt, when things go wrong, we, we, we want to tell everybody on Facebook, we want to call three people, text 100 people, but the person that can empathize with you more than anybody else is Jesus. He knows what it's like to hurt emotionally, physically, relationally. Part two, last week we talked about Jesus the what? Jesus the teacher. And uh, of course we love to hear great teaching, but there's no teaching like the Bible itself. And so it's very important you get alone with the Word of God and hear from Jesus yourself through His Word. So today in part three, I want to talk to you about Jesus the Savior. Jesus the Savior. Now when I say the word Savior, um, everyone in here who says, who claims to be saved, your first thought was, I don't need to hear that. I'm already saved. But I promise you, I'm going to teach you something about salvation today that you have never heard in your life, and it's going to bless you tremendously. I promise you that. Uh, Matthew one twenty one says this, She'll bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he will save, everybody say save, save. his people from their sins. Luke 2.11, There was born to you this day a Savior, everybody say Savior, save. who is Christ the Lord. Now, uh, for your notes, the word saved, Savior, save, all of that in the New Testament, comes from the Greek word sozo. It's very important you learn this for the point I'm going to make. Sozo. It, it, it's spelled S-O-Z-O, but it's pronounced with the D. Sozo. And the only reason I told you how this Greek word is pronounced is so that you would think I'm smart. That's the only reason. There's no other reason. It does not matter if you can pronounce it or not. The only reason I told you that is so you would think highly of me. Okay, so the word sozo, I'm just kidding. It means this, to keep safe. That's good news. To rescue from destruction. That's good news. Uh, to deliver from the penalties of judgment. That was a good place to say amen right there. I'm going to try it again to see if you, if you catch it. To deliver from the penalties of judgment. Amen. That was a really good point. You missed it the first time. You got it the second time. So here's the, here's the one I need you to really see is this. To make perfect in spirit, soul, and body. That's the one you need to know for today's sermon. To make perfect in spirit. So, so wait a minute. So if the word saved in the New Testament Greek means to make perfect in spirit, soul, and body, and you're here today, and you claim to be saved, then by a show of hands, everyone in here who thinks they have a perfect body. Well, well, hold on, hold on. Those of you in here who have not had plastic surgery, and you think you have a perfect body, raise your hand. Okay, just the lady at the back, that's it. I'm just kidding. I just wanted to see who was going to turn around and look at the lady in the back with the perfect body. <laughs> okay. 
How many of you in here think, by show of hands, that you have a perfect soul? This means you've never had a lustful thought since you got saved. You have never um, had worry. You've never been anxious. You've never been fearful. You've never been jealous. You've never been envious. You've never been selfish. How many of you in here have a perfect soul? Again, the lady at the back. <laughs> got you that time. You didn't look back. Good. Oh, so y'all don't care about the soul. Y'all like, the body. Or who has the perfect body? Who has the perfect body? Okay. So if that word means to have be perfect in spirit, soul, and body, then how come we are not perfect in our soul and our body, but yet we claim to be saved? Here's why. Uh, Greek words have different tenses than English words. In the English vernacular, we have a word that would mean for past, a word that would stand for present, and a word that would stand for future. In the Greek language, there are words that have all three tenses. When they speak Greek, that word can have all... In other words, the word sozo has all three tenses in it. All three tenses. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the three points for today's sermon right up front, right now, and then we're going to go through the three points. This is unheard of. Only crazy pastors give all three points at the very beginning. But I'm going to do it. Not because I'm crazy. Ready? Here we go. Salvation is eternal. Here's the points for today's sermon. Salvation is past. Salvation is present. And salvation is eternal. Now, I promise it's going to get you in a second. You're really going to love it. So stay with me. Don't get off the train yet. It's going to be really good. Salvation is all three tenses in the Greek language of the Greek word sozo, saved in the New Testament. Um, when we hear the word eternal, uh, we think future and forever. But the word eternal just doesn't mean future forever. The word eternal means past forever and future forever. It's all the way. Jesus is eternal. Everybody say Jesus is eternal. Jesus. That means Jesus was in the very beginning and even before that. That means Jesus will be in the end and even after that. You understand? Jesus was here before time even existed, and he'll be to the very end. Jesus is eternal. So if Jesus is eternal, then everything that Jesus is, is eternal. If Jesus is the healer, then that means that healing is past, present, future. If Jesus is the favor giver, then he's been given favor from the beginning to the end, and it lasts eternal. If Jesus is the savior, we just don't need him once to save us. Salvation has to be eternal if Jesus is eternal. You're going to get it in a second. Uh, let me give you a scripture that proves the um, eternalness of Jesus, okay? And I know you've heard the scripture before. It's five times in the book of Revelation, and one time angels are singing it to Jesus. In Revelation 1.8, it says this, I am the Lord who is, that's present, who was, that's past tense, and who is to come, the Almighty, that is future. So, here's the question. Are you saved? Are you being saved? Or will you be saved? Are you saved? Are you being saved? Or will you be saved? The answer to that question is yes. Everybody say yes. Okay, so let me explain it to you. Um, let's start with the, the tense of the word sozo. The tense of the word says are past, present, and future. Let me make sure something. Very good. Past, present, future. Good job. Good job. Okay, so past, present, future. So just using the scripture we just read about Jesus in Revelation 1.8, and, and stay with me. You're going to love this. Here's the scripture. Who was, that's past, who is, that's present, and who is to come, that's future. Um, for your notes, uh, it's not up there, but let me give you another one. How about this? Jesus was the same yesterday. 
and forever. Forever, right? And then, oh, uh, then tomorrow, you can still say he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And then the next day, you can say because Jesus is eternal, right? Okay. Now, I'm going to read you some uh, phrases out of scriptures, and we're going to study the scriptures in a second. But here's some phrases directly out of scriptures, okay? Jesus, let me get my boards already. Okay. Uh, the Bible says that you have been saved. Okay, this is scripture, and we're going to read it in a second. The Bible, that, that beeping noise driving me crazy, whoever's phone that is, turn that thing off. The Bible says you have been saved. It says you are being saved. This is scripture that we're going to read. And the Bible also says that you will be saved. Okay, this is scripture we're going to read. Scripture, okay. The Bible says you have been saved from the penalty of sin. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have been saved from the penalty of sin. Um, this is good news. This means Jesus, this means God cannot punish you for any sin because he's already punished Jesus. Jesus has already been punished for your sin. If you have a relationship with him, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have been saved from the penalty of sin. The Bible also says this, you are being saved from the power of sin. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but there is a power, sin has power here on earth. Sin has power. And um, you are being saved from the power of sin. Uh, there's, there's, there's sin of pride that has power. Sin of lust that has power. Sin of selfishness. But the good news is, is as you spend time with the Savior, you are being saved from the power of sin. Okay? Uh, the Bible also says this. You will be saved from the presence of sin. Will be saved from the presence of sin. That's, there's no sin in heaven. Nothing to lure you away from Jesus. Okay? Now here's the big news. This, the word sozo that said um, to be made perfect in spirit, soul, and body. Are you a one-part being or a three-part being? Three-part being. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Okay? You are a spirit. Everybody say, I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. Okay, watch this. The day you gave your life to Jesus, your spirit became perfect. I think the beep's coming from a camera or something. Oh, it's auction. Oh, you know what? Leave the auction on then. We're good, you know. <laughs> Let the auction go. It's fine. The auction can remain on. <laughs> I can live with it if you can live with it. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the day you got saved, your spirit became perfect. Let me give you a scripture to back it up, okay? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, right? Let's talk about believers. So, if your spirit is not perfect and you're saved, then you're claiming that the spirit of Jesus Christ is not perfect. But if you can say the spirit of Jesus Christ is perfect, then you can also say your spirit is perfect. So your spirit has been saved. It's already been saved. Okay, watch this. Your soul is being saved. This is your mind, your will, and your emotions. The reason this is good news is because some of y'all battle salvation. Now, some of y'all in here, you're, you think you're saved and you're not. And Jesus even said that's possible. But some of you in here, you are, you, you've already been saved and you battle it because you say, well, I don't feel saved and sometimes I mess up and sometimes I do things wrong. That's your soul. That's your mind, your will, and your emotions. Listen, a movie can change the way you feel. A song can change the way you feel. You can be happy and hear a song that reminds you of something and your feelings are now sad again. That's your soul. Your soul is in the process of being saved on earth. Your spirit's already been saved. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you have been saved. That's your spirit. Your soul on earth is being saved. And here's the good news. In the future, your body 
will be saved. See, you can't even imagine how good my body's going to look in heaven. I've already put in a request. I'm going to have a chest in heaven. I am so excited about that. Make me three feet tall for all I care. Just give me a chest. You know, all I want is a chest. I've been tall my whole life. I've never had a chest. That's what I want. So body, your body will be saved. Let me, let me, let me, um, let me, let me tell you, um, in Isaiah, it says by his stripes, and his stripes were 2000 years ago, by his stripes, it says we, what's the word? Were, it doesn't say are, we were healed. We were already healed on the cross. Now, you say, well, how come I pray and sometimes my body, even if Jesus heals your body on earth, do you know that no matter how much healing you receive in your body on earth, your body is still dying. You understand that you can pray all day long, heal me from cancer, and he heals you from cancer, your body's still dying. Heals you from leukemia, your body's still dying. Heals you from polio, your body's still dying. It's not going to be saved until the future. When you get to heaven, you get a new perfect sozo to be made perfect in body. What we should be doing, we should be praying for God to help heal our soul. Our soul is sicker than our body. Our soul is incredibly sick. We're manipulative, we're greedy, we're selfish, we're, we're, you know, we're judgmental, all in our mind. The thoughts we think, we need to be praying to be saved, to be healed in our soul. Here's the point of the sermon. Once you give your life to Jesus Christ, once you have uh, accepted the free gift, it's nothing you've done, it's a completely free gift, you need to believe that your spirit has already been saved. Your spirit is perfect. I don't feel it and sometimes that's your soul. Your soul is in the process of being saved and your body will be saved. Here's what I'm trying to say today. We don't just need the Savior once. We need the Savior every day of our life. Not to get re-saved, but we need the Savior. He's already saved our spirit. That's great. We still need to spend time with the Savior because He's the only one that can change us. And he's the only one that can, that will be, that can save us in the future. So here's all three points for you today, okay? Point number one is this. Jesus saved me. My past, spirit. Jesus saved, duh. Everybody say, duh. Duh. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 says this. It is by grace that you are, have been saved. You have been saved through faith. Salvation is not of your effort. This is a gift from God. No one can boast. Nobody in this room can say, um, I was saved because I kept the faith. Nobody in this room can say, well, I was saved because I served in church. Nobody can say, I've been saved because I gave in the offering. Nobody can do that. No, there's no boasting in heaven either. You can't do it in heaven either. The only way, reason we're saved is because we um, opened up the mail. The, I mean, Jesus packaged it, sent it to us. All we did was open the mail. In fact, it was even his grace that helped us open up the free gift. We couldn't even open the free gift if not for his grace. We did nothing, nothing, nothing. The only thing we did was receive this free gift. This is salvation. Uh, Ephesians 1.13, it says, When you heard the truth and put your trust in Christ, having believed, duh, you were sealed, duh. It's past tense. With the Holy Spirit. How in the world do you think any demon from hell can unseal something that the Holy Spirit himself has sealed. Do you think there's any sin or evil thing you could ever do, ever do to unseal something that the Spirit of Jesus Christ has sealed in your life? You're crazy to think that. You are not that powerful. 
In fact, the entire world, or if, if, let's say there's three million people saved on earth right now, if they all did the most worst crime in the world, even all of that together cannot unseal something that the Spirit of God has sealed. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Oh, take the scripture off. Take the scripture off. Put it back. Put it back. Okay. So in 1 Corinthians 6, there's a list of sinners, like a, a big list of sinners. I made the list. You made the list. Even Mary Jane from the second service, she made the list. Everybody made the list, okay? At the end of this list of sinners in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, it says this, and such were some of you before you believed, but you were washed. It doesn't say you're going to be washed. It doesn't say you're still being washed. It says you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by all of your good efforts. Amen. Right? By all of your hard work. By all of your reading the Bible. By all of your coming down to the altar and praying. That's how you've been sanctified. That's how you've been justified. No. No. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit. Your spirit had... For those of y'all that don't know this, this is a really good sermon. Like, it's a really good sermon. I don't know if you're aware or not, but it's a really good teaching. I mean, this is really good. You have already been saved if you put... Take me back, um, take me back a verse. Yep, there, when you heard the truth, when you put your trust, trust in Christ... Now, some of you, you haven't put your trust in Christ. Sir, ma'am, some of you in here, you're just not saved. You're going to hell if you don't put your faith and trust in Christ. So I'm going to be honest with you. But if you have believed, you are sealed. Next scripture. You are justified, sanctified, uh, washed in the spirit of Jesus Christ. Man, this is good. Let me give you another one. Uh, Psalms 103, uh, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed. That's the past. He's removed our transgressions. Not he's going to remove them. Not he's going to think about doing it tomorrow. He's already removed them. Now, if you don't understand that salvation is past, then you will live with pressure to perform, to try to somehow do something to receive God's salvation. If you don't realize it's past, you will spend your life on earth struggling and you'll have fear for the future. If you're here today and you're afraid to die, you might not be saved. You need to say, I have been saved, I'm being saved, and I know I will be saved. Because once you receive this has happened, this happened 2,000 years ago, when you received the gift, you'll have faith for the future, not fear. you have faith. You'll be excited to get your new body. But if you don't get this, you'll have pressure in the present. Always trying to perform not realizing, but we, you know, every Sunday we say this, we say, God has approved and accepted us, right? We don't say God's going to approve of us. God's going to accept us. The Bible says he's already done it. If you're a believer, uh, salvation is not a goal to be achieved. It is a gift to be received. In fact, if for your notes, if your notes, it's not up there for your notes, let me give you another word. Jesus said, it is finished it's already been finished duh it's already been finished 2,000 years ago it is finished here's what he was saying there's nothing else I got to do to get them into heaven it's finished this is the Savior okay point number one was uh, Jesus saved me point number two is this Jesus is saving me he is saving me he is saving my soul 
Every day I spend with Jesus, he is saving my soul. He is, the word save, he is perfecting my soul. A sozo, it is a continual process. Um, imagine you're out in the ocean and you're swimming. Your, your kids are on the shore with your spouse. They're taking pictures and building sandcastles. And you're out there by yourself and all of a sudden you feel this current grab a hold of your legs and it pulls you under. You're scared to death. You don't know what to do. It's, it's tossing you underneath the, 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 the waves. And all of a sudden you feel the bottom of the ocean and you get enough strength to, to kick your feet, try to jump up for one quick yell of help. As you do that and you're coming out of the water, water starts to fill your lungs. I mean, you got, you got salt water all in your nose, everywhere. And you come up to screen help and you can't. And you're only up for one second. In that split second, you could see your family and you realize this is the last time I'm ever going to see them. I mean, you know you're going back. You go back under, it's pulling you around. You probably have three or four seconds of life left in you. I mean, you just know this is it. You know, that was the last time you'll see him. This is it. And then all of a sudden, this guy who was up on the pier was watching you, and you didn't know he was watching you. He jumps in the water. He grabs a hold of you. He pulls you up on the shore, starts to resuscitate you. The water comes out of your lungs. Your family's crying and screaming. Thank Jesus. You know, how excited would you be that this guy just saved your life? What if that guy told you this? For the rest of your life, you will never, ever, ever have to fear because I'm going to be with you every time you get in the water. Every time you go out in the ocean, I'm going to watch you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be there every second. You never have to fear drowning again. Man, you feel great. Here's our problem as Christians. We get saved, and then we think this. I've learned how to swim. I've been going to church for years now. I'm a leader. I teach. I serve in this area. I don't have these addictions anymore. I know how to swim. I don't need to be saved anymore. Okay, the problem with that thought process is this. Your sin is like the ocean. And if we put you in the middle of the ocean, no matter how good of a swimmer you are, you're still going to need to be saved. Salvation is eternal. It is not just past. It is even present. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those perishing, but to us who are being, are being saved, it is the power of God. Romans 12.2, uh, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind is your part of your soul. Your, your mind, your will, and your emotions is part of your soul. You've got to renew it. See, uh, there's, there's great teaching around the world on who we are in Christ. We need to know who we are apart from Christ. If you don't know what you're like apart from Jesus, come to church here for six months, take notes, be a part of a short group, serve, and then stop going to church for three months and don't come here for three months. Ask your friends if there is a change in you. They will beg you to come back to church and hear the Word of God being spoken so you can renew your mind. 2 Corinthians 3.18, one of my favorite ones. Watch this. As we continue to behold the words from the Spirit, as we continue to hear the Word of God, as we continue to look in the Word of God, we are constantly being transformed into His very image from one degree of glory to another degree of glory to another degree of glory, which comes from the... You know why this is such an amazing Scripture? We know it was the Spirit of God that saved us, but sometimes we get prideful as Christians and think, well, now it's my effort that's making me all great. Just like the Spirit of God saved you, it's the Spirit of God that changes your soul. 
is nothing. You can't, you say, well, I've been reading my Bible. Yeah, he gave you the breath and the knowledge and the ability to read your Bible. Well, I came to church and served. He allowed you to get up out of bed this morning so you could come to church and serve. It is the grace of God that saved us. It's the grace of God that changes us. Let me give you another one. Psalms 19.7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Restoring. Restoring the soul. Not just, I'm not, he's not restored. It is restoring the soul. Um, let me tell you a problem I have. I think that, um, I think that a lot of times as Christians we do this. I think that we judge other people's soul based on our spirit. I think we think, well, I'm saved. I've been justified. God's on my side. And then we see somebody else and their soul, and they do things we don't like or say things we don't think's right, and we judge them based on what God's done in our spirit. Let me teach you something really important. The same price that it took for Jesus to save your soul is the same price it took for Jesus to save that person's soul. Same price. The same price it took for Jesus to save your spirit is the same price it took for Jesus to save that person's spirit. It all costs the same thing. It all costs the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. It all costs the same thing. Same thing. So point number one, Jesus saved me. Point number two, Jesus is saving me. Point number three, Jesus will save me. Jesus will save me. I will get a new body. He'll save me in the future. Let me give you some scriptures. Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, 1 Corinthians 3 is an amazing passage. It, it, it's what it's talking about. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about this guy. It does it in the masculine form. It says this guy, um, he was saved. But while he was on earth, he didn't spend any time with the Savior. So his soul was all nasty. He wasn't serving. He didn't get healthy in his soul. He didn't give to the kingdom of God. He didn't sow any seeds for the kingdom of God. There was no obedience. He was saved, but he didn't spend any time with the Savior after that. And so he died, and the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 3.15, if his work is burned up, he'll lose all of his reward yet. In other words, there'll be no reward in heaven because he didn't do anything on earth to serve God. Yet he himself will be saved as one who escaped the fire. It's, it's saying the guy was saved, but he didn't spend any time with the Savior. And so when he got to heaven, there was no rewards, but he did make it into heaven. He did make it into heaven. Very ama amazing scripture. I mean, it's amazing to me. Y'all are like, it just makes you tired, but it makes me feel amazed. That's great. Okay, it says, as one who escaped the fire. The fire's talking about what? Hell. Talking about hell. So let me teach you about hell. Jesus preached on hell 33 times in three years. Um, if he preached once a week, um, then he preached on hell once a month. Would you attend this church if I preached like Jesus and preached on hell once a month and he preached on money once a month? So the two top topics that Jesus preached on was hell and money. Why would Jesus talk about hell more than he talked about heaven? It's because incentives are not enough for us to do something. If I said, there's an incredible restaurant in Myrtle Beach, you got to try it, the best food, you're going to love it, you'll have this thought, I'll get around to it. There's other great restaurants. I'm sure it's good. But if I said, this restaurant over here, in every dish, they hide three cockroaches. Every dish. You would never go to that restaurant. You'd say, I'll do whatever it takes. I'm never going there, right? That's why Jesus talked about hell more than heaven. Um, I, I, I'll give you one teaching on hell. 
so you'll know what you will be saved from. Jesus was talking to some Jewish people one day about hell, and just like many Americans, um, they didn't believe hell was that bad. They just thought there's, there's, no, there's nothing that bad. We, we don't really get it. Jesus was teaching, and all of a sudden, Jesus said this. As they were turning around, Jesus said, Hell is like Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom. When he said that, every Jewish person in the room stopped in their tracks. They got goosebumps all over their body, and they turned around and said, What did you just say? Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. Hell is like Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom. They sat down in awe and thought this, please don't ever say those words again. Why were they so upset by the words Gehenna? Here's why. In 600 BC, 600 years before Jesus taught this, there was this valley of Hinnom. And at the time, for several years, there was um, famine in the land. And there was a lot of poverty. So whenever a poor person died, whether it was from a battle, a war, or just natural death, or some sickness... They didn't have the money to bury them and give them a graveyard. So they would take them to this valley and they would burn their bodies. Uh, in fact, the fire in Gehenna, it never went out. It, it just stayed fire for years and years and years and years. They would burn their trash there. They'd burn dead bodies. And it stunk so bad you could smell it a mile away. If the wind was strong, you could smell it miles away. It was just flesh. I don't know if you ever smelled flesh burning constantly. And so they'd put a mask over their face where they wouldn't smell it, get on their horse, put the dead body on the back, take it there and just dump the body in the fire. Around this time, there was an evil king named King Manasseh in the Bible. King Ahaz also did this, but mainly King Manasseh. King Manasseh was so evil, he started off okay. This was in the land of Judah, this was God's people. But Manasseh started letting the power go to his head, the influence, the manipulation, and he became a cult leader. And he talked these people into worshiping a false god named Molech. And King Manasseh told the people that Molech wants them, when they give birth, to take their newborn baby and throw it in the fire with the dead bodies that are burning. Jeremiah 7.31 says they burned their own babies alive in the Hinnom Valley. Let me ask you a question. What kind of horrible nation that claims to be under God, that's supposed to be indivisible, that believes that God liberated them and that justice should be for every person, what kind of horrible, deceived, sad people would celebrate taking a little baby that could easily grow up to become a great man or woman of God what kind of nation that was blessed by God could celebrate murdering little babies? Where would you find a horrible nation like that of people that are so deceived? In fact, it was worse than that. It got to the point they just wouldn't throw their babies in there. It got so bad Manasseh told the people that their grown children should be forced to walk in the fire and burn alive in front of them. It says in 2 Chronicles 33, 5-6, Manasseh built altars to worship the stars. He burned his children, made them pass through the fire in the Hinnom Valley. He practiced witchcraft, which is where a lot of this starts, consulted fortune tellers, mediums, wizards, and familiar spirits. For those of you who don't know what familiar spirits is, a childlike definition would be this. When you think you're communicating with somebody that's already dead, 
They're in heaven or hell, and you think you're communicating with them. That's a familiar spirit. Started with that, and it got to the point where he would make all these people, make their grown children walk through this fire alive and be burned to death. And when they wouldn't do it, the parents would beat the kids and whip the kids until they watched them burn alive while they celebrated with dancing and singing around the fire. And Jesus said in Mark 9, 46, and Matthew 13, 42, and 50, the fires of hell, or Gehenna, which was the Jewish word he used, never go out. The worm preys on the inhabitants of hell, inflicts wounds, does not die. The fire is never quenched. There will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. When Jesus said weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, they knew that. When the grown children would go through the fire alive, they would be so afraid, be so tormented, they would weep and wail, they would gnash their teeth together, and their teeth would come flying out of their mouth while being burned and beaten alive by the parents that should have given them a healthy, peaceful, loving life. They celebrated doing it, and Jesus said this, that's what hell's like. Why in the world would Jesus give such a grotesque, uh, just a horrible, uh, uh, just a, a, a heinous view of something? Why would Jesus preach this message? You don't want to hear me preach it. Nobody wants to hear about this. Why would Jesus say something so horrible? It's because he didn't want anybody to go there. He wanted everyone to know, you can be saved. There's a Savior. You don't have to experience that ever. I can save you. When I was um, 20 years old, I, was, uh, I moved into my first house. I bought the smallest house in the neighborhood. I was so excited. It was like 1,200 square feet. And I was painting it one night on the inside and getting the furniture organized. And um, I smelled smoke. I thought maybe I left a candle burning or an oven or something. So I, and I opened up the front door. And as soon as I opened up the front door, I could feel these flames of heat. The biggest house in the neighborhood was right in front of mine. Huge two-story house. The whole thing was on fire. It was about 11 o'clock at night. I immediately called 911. I ran outside and began to scream the names of my neighbors. They had children. And I was planning on running through the fire and doing what I could to you know, help them. And, 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 and as I was screaming their name and running up to the, to the, the blazing heat, you know, I, all of a sudden they pulled up in a car. The neighbors started coming out at that time. The, the people that lived in the house, they were not in there. Thank God. They drove up in the car. They're crying and screaming. All their stuff's being destroyed. If you went home from church today and you saw your neighbor's house was on fire, none of you in this room would think this thought. Somebody else will call 911. Somebody else will see if they're okay. In fact, you would never even think this. I'm just going to go inside and pray for them. I'm just going to pray for my neighbors. No, nope. you know what you do? You would call 911. You'd run across the street. You'd start screaming their name, making sure they're not in that torment. Okay, listen. Your neighbor's house is not on fire, but your neighbor will be if they don't know Jesus. And my heart for you today is for you to take all the influence you have at work, school, social media, family, friends, and for you to introduce them to Jesus, the Savior. They can be saved. He can save them. He can continue saving them, and He will save them. But they got to know Jesus. I want to close with this, this poem that I found real quick. 
kind of says what I'm talking about today. It says, my friend, I stand in judgment now and I feel that you're to blame somehow. On earth, I walked with you day by day and never did you point the way. You knew the Lord in truth and glory, but never did you tell the story. My knowledge then was very dim. You could have led me safe to him. Though we lived together on earth, you never told me of the second birth. And now I stand this day condemned because you failed to mention him. You taught me many things. That's true. I called you friend. I trusted you. But I learn now that for me it's too late. You could have kept me from this fate. We walked by day and talked by night, and yet you showed me not the light. You let me live and love and die, and you knew I'd never live on high. Yes, I called you friend in life, and I trusted you through joy and strife. But yet on coming to the end, I cannot now call you. You know, a hundred years from now, believe it or not, you're probably going to remember this sermon. When you're standing in heaven or when you're burning in hell. Either way, you remember. Eternal. Salvation is eternal. And I want everybody in here to know Jesus. Savior. Amen. 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 Let's go to the Lord in prayer and I'm going to ask our a music team to come on up today. Our um, our teenagers are going to lead us in. A